today we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. Um, I want to draw our attention uh, to an episode in the Jesus' Jesus's, uh, life before we get to uh, Judges 13, because I think it's going to be um, helpful for us in understanding sort of what's going on in our text. Judges 13, by the way, is, is the last judge, um, Samson. It's the beginning of his, uh, his nativity, as one might say. Um, but after the resurrection, so we're in Jesus, right? That was a kind of a cue, nativity, right? Who else has a nativity? Jesus. Uh, but Samson, all right. So um, Jesus, after the resurrection and before the ascension, two of Jesus' disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. Um, they are walking and they're talking about all that happened in Jerusalem, Jesus' triumphal entry, uh, his teaching, uh, in, in the city, the plot to murder him, uh, his capture, his passion, his death, and his reported resurrection. And, and as they're having this discussion, as they're walking around the road, Jesus, resurrected Jesus, draws near and begins to walk with them along the way. Um, and, it, and this is what it says in Luke 24, 17. And, and he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? Uh, and it says, and they stood still looking sad. Right? So it's this whole idea. You have these two gentlemen walking together. They're talking. And then this person who they don't recognize is, walks up to them and asks them what's going on. And they're just like, what? Like, haven't you heard? Don't you know? And so uh, Cleopas, one of them, he, he turns to Jesus, who he doesn't recognize yet, and he says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And so then Jesus asks about the things, and then the two disciples, they tell him about his own triumphal entry, and his own teaching, and his, the own the plot against his own life and his own passion and his own death and his reported, but his actual resurrection. And as they're relaying this to Jesus in Luke 24, 21, they drop this, this hope bomb where they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one. So they had this sense like all the way from, from Genesis 3 that, that, um, right? The, the seed will crush the head of the serpent and, and you will bruise his heel, right? That this one, this, this prophet like Moses, this, uh, this one who would come and save his people, the disciples thought it was Jesus. And after seeing the sadness of his disciples and hearing the explanation of their sadness, Jesus responds to them in this way. And he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There's three things that Jesus points out here that uh, are going to sort of structure our look at, at Judges 13. He says, all that the prophets have spoken. The words of promise of the prophets. This is what Jesus is referring to, that the, the prophets have put into the scriptures that God spoke to them. They've recorded it for us in the scriptures. These are the words 
of promise. And these are the promises that caused the disciples to hope that Jesus, that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. The, the second thing is that uh, Jesus says that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer. This is the message that another, right, a substitute must pay the penalty for us. The Christ must suffer so that we may have life. This is the drama of fall, curse, promise, uh, fulfillment, a redemption that the scriptures lay out for us. And, and th that is going to be part of our text today as well. And then finally, that Jesus is glorious. We see that, um, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Jesus is glorious. And Jesus is, as Hebrews 1, 3 puts it, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And we'll see that in our text today as well. Jesus grounds all of this in the testimony of Moses and all the prophets. He says that this is what they teach. This is what they show. This is what their writings should be read as. And that they're all concerning himself. Now, we have been in Judges for several weeks now. And Judges was written by one of those prophets that Jesus is referencing. Probably Samuel. And, and in it, we see testimony concerning the son, Jesus, but specifically in Judges 13, the, the nativity of Samson, how he is born, um, how he comes to be, we'll see that, that this text follows this pattern that Jesus talks about in Luke 24. We'll see all that the prophets have spoken. We'll see that it's necessary that Christ should suffer, and we'll see that Jesus is glorious. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we'll be in Judges chapter 13. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Yeah, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him from uh, where he was from and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after him. Wait, wait, after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel said, and the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, 
all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that, so that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offerings and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. When the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord peered no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and he called his name Samson and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan uh, between Zorah and Eshtal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's pray. God of our fathers, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. As, as we approach your holiness in this text today, reveal to us your words. Enlighten our hearts and our minds and, and captivate us with your beauty and your splendor. And may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds after the image of your beloved son. Amen. So as, as we compare uh, Luke 24 to Judges 13, I, th I think we're going to notice um, the same things that Jesus mentions are the same points that we're going to get in this text, just slightly reordered. So um, our points today are going to be the gospel, the hope of the prophets. Uh, number two is going to be the messenger of God, Jesus is glorious. And then number three is the sacrificial drama, Christ must suffer. So our first point today is the gospel, the hope of the prophets. In the first five verses of Judges, we, we see a summary of all of biblical history up to this point, um, starting in verse one, right? And, and the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the common refrain in the book of Judges. In addition to, to here, in, in verse one, we find it in uh, 3.7 and 3.12. We see it in 4.1 and 6.1, and then we see it in 10.6. I want you to notice something about the standard here. The standard is not the sight of man. The standard is not the sight of your neighbors, right? The, the standard is not your own sight. The standard here is the sight of the Lord. People are doing evil in his sight. They're breaking his commandments. As creator, 
He rules over his creation. As, as king, he sits enthroned above it all, and he sets the standard for conduct. Evil is what violates his ordinances. It's what rejects his decrees. It's what denies his magnificence. And the people of Israel have broken his law. They have transgressed the commandment. They have sinned. I think, uh, right, if we think back to the garden, we, we see that there. We've seen it uh, time and time again throughout Judges. We saw it uh, as Israel left um, bondage in Egypt, right? There, there's this thing called sin, and it, it corrupts. It, it consumes. It kills. It, it, it kills. It makes us dead. And so just as Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the garden, the people of Israel have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and what happens then is that a curse comes. There's consequences for sin, that when we transgress God's moral law, uh, a penalty comes that must be paid. And so just as uh, God appeared in the garden and pronounced the curse upon our first parents, we, we see the effects of the curse playing themselves out in the corporate and personal lives, uh, the corporate life of Israel and the personal life of Manoah and his wife. Um, we see that uh, beginning in, in verse 1, the second half of verse 1 here, um, where uh, it talks about how the, the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so corporately, they see the curse in the oppression of the hands of their enemies. If you think back, Genesis 3.15, for the curse, the seed of the serpent, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. So there's, there's war, there's, there's battle, there's uh, uh, oppression. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. This is an expression and extension of that curse. They're oppressed by their em enemies. In, in the personal life, we, we see this in Manoah in, uh, through the curse of, of barrenness. Um, Genesis 3.16 says, I will surely multiply your, ch your pain in childbearing, your sorrow in childbearing. And I think uh, in view here in Genesis 3.16, right, there's definitely the pain of bringing a child to term and the travail of birth. That's true, but more is meant as well. Um, the sorrow of barrenness and of miscarriages and of stillbirths and of childhood cancers and genetic disorders and illnesses and accidents, um, all of these take our children from us. And all of these are the sorrow that we see in Genesis 3.16. And these, these sorrows, this, the, the, the pain of oppression, right? The pain of, of enemies ruling over us and the, the pain, um, the pain of barrenness all of these are consequences of sin. All of these are consequences of the fall. All of these are the brokenness of the world that we live in. Um, and and if, if, if you sort of look back uh, from where we're at and ju judges all the way back, you, you see that this plays out in, in history. You know, you see it with Abraham. Abraham and his wife are barren. Um, uh, Isaac and his wife are barren, right? So there's just the this barrenness that gets that's played out, and you see oppression of enemies uh, all through Judges. And there are ways that sin affects and brings curse and damage and destruction to lives. And up to this, up to this point, um, 
this doesn't seem like gospel, right? This doesn't seem like good news. Um, this, though, is a simply an honest assessment of the way things are. This is a, an honest telling of the world that we live in. And that's why it seems terrible. That's why it seems so sad. Because sin has made a wreck of this beautiful creation in which we live. Sin has damaged everything and destroyed it all. But listen to what the angel of the Lord announces to Manoah's wife. Listen to what he says. Uh, uh, verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. He promises to her that she will be barren no more. Then he continues, therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come, excuse me, no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Promise two here is we will have victory over our enemies. This is what, exactly what this family and the people of Israel need to hear at this moment. They need to hear that the curse will be reversed. This is good news. This is the message of the gospel. That we will have victory over our enemies and there will be descendants for the barren. That, that the curse of sin will be undone. And that we will have a son and that we will defeat our enemies. Now, the, if, if, if you've read Genesis a ton, this should sound extremely familiar. All right? Listen to how the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, right? Angel of the Lord announces this to the wife of Manoah. Now, the angel of the Lord does this in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord... We'll talk about the angel of the Lord in a second here. Called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son. So uh, uh, Abraham has just uh, gone up the mountain with his son. He's going to uh, sacrifice him. The Lord provides a substitute, right? A substitute goat who he takes and they sacrifice. And in, in Hebrews, uh, it, it looks back on that and says, Oh, uh, Abraham just believed that God could have uh, raised Isaac from the dead. So he, he was going to believe what, what, what God had told him to do, and he was believing it as a type of Christ. Um, so by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. Now, now this, uh, that, that verse, I will surely bless you, verse 17 there, uh, is simply a confirmation of a covenant previously cut, previously ratified, previously promised between God and Abram, before he was even Abraham, right? In Genesis 15, before Abraham was even named Abraham and before he had a son, God had promised him this. And, and here we just have the fulfillment of it. So you had a barren man and a barren wife promised a son, and so even in uh, Abraham, we have the promise of barren no more. Barren no more. Continuing in, in Genesis 22 here, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so even in Abraham, we have this promise of victory over enemies, victory over our enemies. And so if we go back to what Jesus is talking about in Luke 24, this is one of those things that the prophets have spoken and that we are to believe in because we have its fulfillment in Christ. We have its fulfillment in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says, uh, Matthew uh, 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have victory over our enemies. We shall possess their gates. We shall go and plunder their lands. Uh, Luke 10, 18 through 20, Jesus says, I saw Satan. So he had sent out the 70 of his disciples and they go and they, they heal the sick. They proclaim good news to the poor. They, they do all these things. And Jesus, in response to it, when they come back and give him the report, he says, I saw Satan uh, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we have authority and we have power to destroy the works of the devil. Listen to John 10. He says, uh, John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, right? This, this idea of, of, of sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so Jesus is saying this, that he has sheep not of this fold, and they will be brought into one flock because we have one shepherd. And then we hear the, the voice of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where he tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go get the sheep. Go get the sheep and bring them into the flock. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have been tasked, tasked with making disciples. Right? That's our job. That's, that's what we're told to do. And so I have three quick uh, responses here so I've, uh, for Christians, people who believe in Jesus. The, the, the first is share the message of Jesus with others. Share the message of Jesus with others. Jesus has promised you offspring. Jesus has promised you, spiritual brothers and sisters in the faith, because of the words that you speak. We have family out in the world that are just waiting to hear. They're just waiting to hear the good news of Jesus and that to, to change their lives forever. And so go and be barren no more. God has given you all that you need. And he will do the work on your behalf. Go and be barren no more. The second thing is destroy sin in yourself. Aid in its destruction in your family in Christ. And go out into the world doing good works so that more people can be plundered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Right? Go and be victorious over your enemies. 
Go and be victorious over your enemies. And then um, the last thing here is if you're a note taker, you may want write, to write these down. Go and read places like Isaiah 51 and Isaiah 54 and Galatians 4 and Genesis 12 through 22 and Genesis 1 through 3 and drink deeply of the promises of God as fuel for one and two. Drink, drink deeply of these promises where, where Jesus promises to you that you will be barren no more, right? And that fruit will flow from your lips as you share the gospel with other people. And that, that you will be victorious over your enemies. That sin will not kill you, right? That, that you can go out into the world and, and be Christ to others. So that's some applications uh, for Christians now, uh, we're going to switch here. I, I, we're going to talk about the, the angel of the Lord, because that's where it goes in the text. It's slightly different here. But the messenger of God is, is going to show us that Jesus is glorious, that Jesus is glorious. That's our second point, and that's 6 through 14. It's interesting um, that this is the third time that the angel of the Lord appears in the book of Judges. I think that's interesting. Threes are uh, important numbers, I think, in the Bible. Uh, this is the third time that he's appeared. And that he's also present in Genesis 22, where we have this announcement of the very similar uh, message to, um, to Abraham, where you have a, a, a barren no more and victory over enemies. Also, I, you know, I, I think this, uh, do you guys know what a chiasm is? It's kind of like a mountain. That's the way I like to think about it. It's a literary structure that helps draw attention to important things. Um, and I, I think there's a chiasm uh, in, in one through five. Um, we could call it an alleged chiasm. Uh, you spell it C-H-I-A-S-M um, if people would like that. So, um, but as far as I know, right, it's this technique that um, you have like an idea and then an idea and then an idea, and then you kind of have like an inversion or a reversal or like some sort of um, uh, development in the progress. So like if, if we look at the text, the end of verse one, right, we have uh, the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, right? So you have oppression of the Philistines. That's like your first thing. They call it A. Then uh, B, right, you have uh, an announcement of, of barrenness in uh, Manoah and his wife, right? So you have uh, oppression um, from the Philistines, and then you have no son. And then uh, the third thing that you have is then we have the angel of the Lord, right? The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Then, then what we have is that we have the promise of the son, right? So, so we have oppression of the Philistines, no son, angel of the Lord, son, uh, and then at the very end, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So uh, uh, Philistine, uh, what did I say? It's uh, Philistines overthrown, right? Philistines oppress, no son, angel of the Lord, son, Philistines overthrown, right? And so you have this development, you have this structure in the text, like you can read it plain as day. Um, and at the center of the chiasm is the angel of the Lord, right? And so the angel of the Lord, uh, uh, liter literarily, right, if you're, if you're talking about that, he, he becomes the center of this chapter. He becomes the focal point of what's going on. And, uh, and if it, it's real, right, maybe it's not, maybe I'm just uh, 
like seeing what I want to see in the text, and I'm, I apologize if that's the case, but I really don't believe it. I, I do think it's such a big deal, right? The angel of the Lord is here. And I, I so my interpretation of this, and uh, I know this uh, varied, that the angel of the Lord is probably the son of God, right? Jesus, the son of God, is in some way uh, uh, present here in the text. And, and I have seven reasons why, in addition to this chiasm, that, that I think it's so. I actually had an eighth that I, uh, so right, the, um, but I, uh, I, I read it as I was, I was like, oh man, that's another good one, where he says, I am. The angel of the Lord says, I am in this text. Oh my gosh, right? Uh, I didn't see that before, and I just did as we were reading it. But so there's eight reasons, but I only have seven in my notes. Um, the first is verse six. His appearance was very awesome. Um, that's how the wife of Manoah talks about uh, this appearance of uh, the angel of the Lord. And this reminds me of, of what Jesus looks like at the transfiguration, right? Um, Matthew 17, 2, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So he's, uh, his appearance is very awesome. Uh, verse 6, he's from nowhere, right? That's uh, what Manoah's wife is saying. I don't know where he's from. He, he's from nowhere. And John uh, 1, 46 says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Jesus comes from nowhere. Um, he's a nobody, um, right? That's what she says in, in verse six. Um, all right, he didn't tell me his name. Um, and so Mark 6, 3, uh, Jesus's detractors are saying, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters with us here. This can't be the savior of the world because he's a nobody. Um, we see it in uh, verse seven, right? He promises these amazing things. And what did Jesus do but promise us amazing things? Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Verse 18, his name is wonderful, which is Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We also have Manoah. Uh, seeing him um, is as though seeing God. Um, that's what Manoah says in in uh, right he, when he when he's like, oh my goodness, when the angel doesn't show up, he said, I've seen God. I'm going to die. Um, and so Jesus, uh, about Jesus in Hebrews 1.3, right? It says, Jesus is a radiance of the glory of God and the act, exact imprint of his nature. And for these reasons, it's my view that here in Judges 13, the angel of the Lord is none other than Jesus Christ. And he is glorious. He is a promising God. He is a, a God who is uh, splendid and wonderful. But I did say that I had seven reasons, eight now, but... Seven, uh, and the last reason is going to move us into our final uh, final point here, the the final connection between Luke twenty four and um, uh, Judges thirteen. At least uh, we've seen that in the message of the gospel and the small glimpse of the person of Jesus, and we we're now turning to the the drama uh, that Christ must suffer. And so uh, the seventh reason is that his role in the sacrificial drama in verses fifteen through twenty. That's um, that's the, the seventh reason why I think the angel of the Lord is, is Jesus. 
because of his role in the sacrificial drama. There, there are four stages in this drama. There's four. The first is that there's this sacrifice that gets planned. Yeah, you see that in verse, verse 15, right? Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. This is just a way of saying, hey, let's have a sacrifice. Like, I'm going to prepare a goat. You don't just kill meat when you're not uh, going to use it for a good purpose. They're not Americans, right? Um, you, you slaughter a lamb in a sacrificial way. That's just how it's done. And so, um, thus detain you in prayer, young goat. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So here we have the angel of the Lord. He declines to participate in eating a sacrificial meal. He he says, no, I I can't eat of the sacrificial meal. And instead, I want you to offer it to the Lord. So if I'm right about who the angel of the Lord is, then we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, choosing not to eat of the meal that prefigures his own death as a substitute for others. Right? There's no reason that Jesus would need to eat it. He doesn't need to consume this sacrifice because he is the sacrifice. He plans it, but he doesn't eat of the shadow because he is the substance. So too, Jesus plans his own sacrifice on the cross and offers himself to us as his propitiation, as a propitiation for the guilt. He's a guilt remover. He, he, he takes away our sins and he provides us with sustenance. He's the life sustainer within us. And so in the, in the sacrifice plan, we, we get this glimpse of what Jesus is planning from all eternity past to, to take away the sins of the world and be nourishment to his people and to his family. Finally, we, we see a revelation. So after the sacrifice gets planned, we have a revelation of the name. So Manoah asks the angel's name and the angel responds that it is wonderful. And so just as the angel of the Lord, right, reveals his name before the sacrifice on the rock, so too we have Jesus revealing his name here on earth before his crucifixion by the hands of the Romans at the behest of the Jews on the rock of Golgotha. What are the names that Jesus reveals to us? I have eight. He's, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. That's John 6.35. Jesus is the light of the world. That's John 8.12. Jesus is the door of the sheep. That's John 10.7. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's John 10.11. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's John 11.25. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14.6. Jesus is the true vine. That's John 15.1. And Jesus is I am. And that's John 18, 5. And so we have, the, we have uh, Jesus, right? Jesus, it's um, pactum salutis, right? He, he, he um, uh, from all eternity past, right? He, he says that he's going to offer himself up for the, the people of God, right? He plans his own sacrifice. And then uh, two, he reveals to us his name. He reveals to us the Father. He, he shows us who God is, right? He is the exact imprint of God's nature, he is the, the, the way that we see who God is. And then the next part of our drama, the third part, is that there's a sacrifice offered. And so after the name is revealed and uh, the sacrifice is offered and witnesses, we have witnesses, Manoah and his wife are present to see the fire. 
And so too, our Lord offered himself up in the presence of witnesses, of insurrectionists to his right and to his left, to Roman guards who cast lots for his garments and who hurled incense, uh, insults upon him and who pierced his side where blood and water flowed. We have uh, his male and female disciples at the cross with him watching him die. We have members of his own family like his mother and we have Jewish leaders and we have crowds of people witnessing the death of the savior of the world. Jesus died in public for the world for all the world to see because he died to save the world. And then uh, the last part of our drama here is the messenger ascends. So you have the fire on the altar um, in verse um, 19, right? The Manoah took the goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the one who works wonders and Manoah and his wife were watching Verse 20, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The fourth and final act of this sacrificial drama, we have the angel of the Lord rising into the heavens. So too Jesus, right? So too Jesus. After he died and was buried, he rose from the dead three days later and appeared to more witnesses, right? Countless witnesses he appeared to, part of which we read in Luke 24, right? But he appears to more and he taught his disciples more before he eventually ascends into heaven where he sits today at the father's right hand, ruling and reigning over all creation. And so in this drama, we, we see prefigured to us the life of Christ, what Christ is going to do, how he is going to, to live. And, and, and this is a shadow, right? It's like the, the light of all of the, the big blaze, right? On, of the crucifixion and Jesus's life ha- casts all these shadows, right? It casts them back onto the Old Testament. It casts them forward into our life, but it casts shadows. And, and we've just found one of the shadows here in the text. And, and I think that is so beautiful, right? It is so marvelous, so lovely. Our God is so intricate. Our God is so wise. Our God is so amazing to have put this in here. Like, isn't that amazing? Now, all of this, the the last point here is, is fulfillment. All of this doesn't matter if the barren woman doesn't have a kid, right? Does any of this matter if she doesn't get pregnant does any of this matter if that, that young man who comes from her doesn't then begin to destroy the Philistines? All of it's just good words. All of it's just showmanship. All of it's just a game. But what happens? Verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. She has the boy And the young man grew and the Lord blessed her. And so the promise of barren no more has been fulfilled, right? This is just one of the fulfillments. God is a faithful God who keeps his promises and his promise to us is barren no more. And here we see it fulfilled. We see it fulfilled. And so as our hearts uh, waver, right, they waver in faith. They do all the time. If you look at the past, what you should see is that God is faithful and that your present doubts, though you should acknowledge them and understand them and, 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 and be aware of them, 
they are not the final word, right? God is faithful. Press into him. Go into him. His promises are always fulfilled. And then uh, the, the second promise that we looked at, right, is victory over enemies. And in this text, we see this rod forming from the root of promise two, right? This little shoot beginning to rise from the stump. Victory over enemies. And the spirit of the Lord, verse 25, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtal. So promise two is still yet to be, right, fulfilled. Well, we're going to go over that over the next couple weeks. We'll see more of how the budding rod sprouts into a limb and how Samson saves his people. It's going to be a messy story, right? It's going to be messy. Samson is not uh, the pinnacle of what we should all aspire to be. He's, he's definitely not. Um, and it's going to be dramatic, but God, despite all of Samson's failings, will be faithful. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are grateful that your promises, uh, your promises uh, cannot be thwarted. That when you have uh, made a pledge to us, when you have said something to be true, that it will be. There, there may be drama. It may be messy. We may uh, strive against your purpose. But God, you overcome. No purpose of yours can be thwarted is what we read in, in Job 42. No purpose of yours can be thwarted and that where you decree something to come to pass, it comes to pass. And so Lord, uh, I pray for us today. I pray that we would trust in you, that uh, we would run to the cross, uh, that um, all of your uh, gifts, they seem too good for us. They seem too amazing. They seem too uh, otherworldly. They seem um, not real even. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our, the weakness of our faith, that even that mustard seed of trust in you would turn into a plant that would fill the whole garden. I pray that you would be kind to us and gentle with us, that you would be patient with us. Lord, I pray that we would be patient with each other, that we'd be kind to each other, that we'd be loving toward each other. And Lord, I pray that, that from the love that you have seated in us, good works would spring up and that we would bear much fruit for your kingdom, for your glory, for your name and your renown, and that in our hearts and in the world, your name would be praised and hallowed. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.